Hi, my name is Daniel, and I was raised inside of a Christian culture. I grew up in church, came to faith as a child in a church, went to summer camp, uh, Christian summer camp. I went to youth group, graduated and went to Bible college, became a pastor and pastored at a church. Then I pastored at another church, and now I have a podcast. I guess that's the logical next step, right? But in all seriousness, there seems to be this cycle that I see of believers in Jesus that get this direction and you think that you got it all figured out and you head in that direction. Then all of a sudden, at some point, sooner or later, you hit this wall where real life and the beliefs that you've been raised on kind of collide. And it's tough to make sense of it all. Now, I've seen this happen to friends and, and family and colleagues and uh, co-workers and people I went to Bible college with. And at that moment, uh, that event horizon, a whole bunch of different things seem to happen. You know, on one end, I've seen friends that have completely left the faith altogether. They've become atheists or they've become agnostic or they've just kind of floated out and and out of orthodoxy and then i've seen people kind of attempt to stay within christianity but have then kind of deconstructed their faith to the point where it's not really orthodoxy at all and then i've seen people who have just doubled down on the dogma and doubled down on the fundamentalism and refused to come to grips with the nuance and the reality that sometimes life is messy but sometimes this, this fallen world that God created bends and breaks and isn't so black and white. And so I wanted to make a podcast about that. You know, what happens when this faith that we have been taught, that we've been handed down, what about this faith we've experienced and we've learned about meets these instances and meets these situations in real life? Because Our faith is meeting real life all around us. And our lives are about trying to figure out what's the harmony between the two. So this is called meeting real life. Welcome to the very first episode of Meeting Real Life. I am so excited that this idea is finally seeing the light of day. It might be awesome. It might be nothing. I don't really know which is going to be which, but I'm really, really excited about this very first episode. So today we're going to be talking about neighbors. No, not Wilson, who lives across a picket fence when you can't see his face and stuff like that. But the biblical idea of neighbors So the people around us, the people that are near us in our towns and cities, people we pass on the highway to work or by the subway, people we interact with in our jobs. And, you know, we see them when we're shopping in the stores and uh, getting our coffee. You know, the people we see on the side of the road, maybe holding up cardboard signs with sad stories on them. People we've never met, but 
at the same time, we share a neighborhood with them. We share a town or a city with them. We share a state with them, a country with them, or maybe they only share our border with us. You know, if you've been catching the news at all lately, there's actually been a lot of um, back and forth by who is our neighbor, who is not our neighbor. And, and really, there's actually been a lot of scripture quoted to make different points one way or the other. You know, immigration has been a hot button issue, especially lately. And I'm just letting you know now, this is not a political podcast by the long shot. So just bear with me here. But I thought it was really interesting, some of the things that were said uh, in this past week or so, um, up to the filming and release of this podcast. And it's even something that um, I've actually thought a lot about and even kind of changed the beginning part of this podcast because it just is so pertinent and it makes so much sense with what we're talking about today. According to USA Today, Attorney General Jeff Sessions said this about using the law to separate children from the parents at the U.S.-Mexico border. He said, quote, I would cite to you the Apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order. And later, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders summed up the same idea, saying, quote, it is very biblical to enforce the law. Now, you might wonder what this has to do with the question, who is my neighbor, right? But just stick with me. It actually is really connected in a big way. So in Luke chapter 10, this lawyer gets up to test Jesus while he's teaching. Now, he's not the slip and fall, call Sam Bernstein kind of lawyer, though. He's actually an expert in religious law, which is the Torah, the Old Testament. So this guy gets up and says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looks at the guy and basically says, well, you're the expert. What do you think? What does the law say? The lawyer responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this answer is comprised partly of the Shema, which is perhaps the most important prayer in Judaism. And the second part is also from the Torah. Now, don't worry, this also is not a podcast lesson in Judaism either. But that's what he was quoting back to Jesus, the law, right? So what Jesus says to him is basically, boom, there you go. Do this and you shall live. So case closed, right? But this is what Luke says in his gospel about this lawyer. It says, seeking to justify himself. The man asks, well, who is my neighbor? That is actually an incredibly sinister question. Because, and asking, who is my neighbor? This lawyer is actually asking, who is not my neighbor? In other words, who does not make the list of people I must love as myself? Who is disqualified and disallowed from my love and care? And that is when Jesus launches into the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now you've probably heard the parable of the Good Samaritan, but I'm just gonna summarize for you. You know, a man sets off on this long journey and gets jumped by robbers. You know, they beat him up, they take his stuff, they leave him for dead. Jesus says a priest walks by and sees him, but he passes by on the other side. Now, 
Think about the crowd listening to this story. Think about Jesus's audience. Now he's talking primarily to an audience full of Jews. They're Jewish people. So their heroes, their their idols in the story are going to be uh, the priest or the, the, the men of God. That's who they're thinking. Okay, they're if they show up in the situation, they're going to be the ones that's going to save the day. But in Jesus's story, the priest, the man of God, God's man, sees the person in need, goes to the other side of the road, and keeps walking. Then a Levite comes by. You know, think a mystic, man-bun-wearing, avocado-toast-eating man of the mysteries of God. You know, surely he would understand the, the importance of helping someone in need. But, according to Jesus, goes to the other side of the road, walks on by, keeps going. Finally, according to Jesus, a Samaritan comes by and saves the day, bandages the man's wounds, takes him up on his uh, steed and and goes to the inn and, and pays for his care and says, I'll be back, I'll pay you whatever it costs to take care of him. Out of his own pocket, out of his own uh, resources, saves this man's life. Now, it's important to notice a Samaritan is someone who culturally to an audience of Jewish people would be absolutely despised. The least likely person to enter the story, especially as the hero. Right? There was ethnic and religious hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans had different religious beliefs about um, worshiping God even though it was the Abrahamic God. Now, you can see this in John 4 because the woman at the well says, well, you Jews worship at the temple, but we're Samaritans, we worship on the mountain. They had different ideas of where they should worship. And there were other things too. There was actually a, a different um, five books of the Bible that the Samaritans had a different version. It was the Samaritan Pentateuch. And so there's these this ethnic hatred, this religious hatred. They weren't that different, but they were just different enough to where they hated each other. And Jesus used that, capitalized on it, for the sake of the story, and said the Samaritan was the one who was the example of the good neighbor. When I heard the two quotes from earlier from Jeff Sessions and Secretary Sanders, I thought about this story. Because in both of their quotes, it just felt to me on a gut level that maybe they were using the law or even scripture to justify and qualify who their neighbor was. If you listen to the press conference with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, reporters are just slamming her saying, aren't you a parent? Don't you have empathy? But she just kind of repeats the same stuff. You know, this past week, it just felt to me that we were building walls between our neighbors instead of bridges. Now, I understand everyone has their different opinions about what's going on on our border and everyone has different politics. And I respect that. I really do. And I'm not here to assert a political position on it, but there certainly is a collision here between faith and what's happening in front of us. That is why I'm here. So how do we let our faith define who our neighbor is? How do we build bridges to people instead of walls keeping us from people? Well, to get started, I know a guy who okay. is doing We're good. just that.
My name is Jonathan Kumar. I met Jonathan when I was in Grand Rapids doing young adults ministry. We used to call him just Kumar. Uh, I think my mom would prefer Jonathan, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> if, she, if she hears this, love you, Mom. Jonathan graduated from U of M. He was an entrepreneur, and he had some really big ideas to change the world. For instance, he had this idea for a while that was kind of like Tom's shoes, but for appetizers. So instead of getting a pair of trendy shoes and some kid in Africa gets a pair too, you get a plate of hot wings and then you know, some hungry kid in need gets food as well. But this idea that he had was different, and it came to him in a much different way. I think the idea came in like 2012 when I was in Chicago for Chicago Ideas Week, uh, appropriately, and in, in, in walking by a guy in particular need and, and, and not being able to help because I was running late to this event. Jonathan told me that later on, when he was taking the train back to his room, he kept thinking back to that encounter, kept thinking back to that man. He really honestly wanted to do something, but in that moment, he just couldn't. Maybe it was that he didn't have any cash on him and he couldn't just hand the guy a credit card. Or maybe he did have cash, but he wasn't 100% sure if it would go to the right place or if it really would help him. But that kind of gave him an idea. And if that guy had just held out a credit card terminal in his hands and uh, I could have just swiped and and known that the money was going to help him in some way, um, I would have been happy to swipe and keep going. And it, it, well, maybe if I feel this way, that I wanted to do something I couldn't, maybe there's thousands of other people that feel the same way. This idea really captivated Jonathan, but he put on the back shelf for a while until another event that he described to me happened a little bit later. There was uh, an instance where I just watched a man, like a black man, uh, ask for money at, at a highway exit for about 20 minutes and not a single window, you know, open to him. And just watching that happen and, and, and then approaching him myself, he was a really big guy, actually. Uh, you know, tattoos, cap, overcoat, muscles, big guy. And so, you know, I'm afraid myself to approach him uh, through these like bushes and stuff, but I make my way over there and I, you know, I say, hey, excuse me, um, you know, I saw you over here and I just wanted to ask what, you know, what you're raising money for and you know what you feel your challenges are in doing this and and like I, I kind of like tried to feed him an answer. I remember I was like, do you feel like people don't have cash anymore? And he he ends up like cut, cutting me off actually, and he's like, no, bro, like I got the wrong clothing, the wrong skin color, nobody believes me. And that, it, I'm not a very emotional guy, but that kind of broke my heart um, in some ways. I'm sure we've all been in that situation before. We're minding our own business, driving in our car, and someone stops us panhandling on the street, or maybe we're walking downtown and someone stops us, asks us for change. For whatever reason, we're a lot more guarded in that situation than when, say, a friend or a family member hits us up for 20 bucks. But we'll be fair, alcoholism and drug addiction is a real problem on the streets. And we've all seen the stories and seen it played out where these people are just asking for money for drugs or for alcohol. But it becomes a barrier to help instead of a bridge to help. And if we're not careful, we start to build a bit of a prejudice. 
you know, these cars, they, they have like a second or five seconds to, to make a decision and their prejudices and their preconceptions get in the way. You know, I knew exactly what Jonathan was talking about. I'd found myself in that position before, too, trying to make that snap judgment over whether or not I should do something to help, whether or not it was the right thing. But then he was telling me more about the man that he met on the side of the road that day, and it got a little more interesting. So this guy was raising money to buy medication for the diabetes he has in his feet, and I wouldn't suggest Googling foot diabetes because it's horrible, and this this guy like has it, has it. And he, he just wants some over-the-counter meds and wasn't getting enough from the doctor he was working with. And and I just felt that like if these cars passing by um, could for a couple seconds cut through their perceptions, cut through their preconceived notions and could see the person in, in his true need as it, as it, as it was uh, and had a simple way to act, I believe most, most of those cars would act. I mean, I'm talking like someone you really, really trust was standing next to the person and saying, hey, I have verified that this person is who he says he is and wants what he says he wants. And here's a magic button. Uh, all you need to do is press this button and you will transfer five dollars to this person's need. Like that sort of clarity and, and like simplicity. I think most cars would would hit that button, you know, the space bar on your keyboard. Uh, and and transfer $5 to this person. So I wanted to make it that easy, essentially. And so Jonathan did just that. Along with some colleagues of his, he created the app called Samaritan. It's a way to give cashlessly and effectively just help someone on the street that's in need. Jonathan explained it to me like this. It's kind of two-sided. We first give out these necklaces called beacons, uh, tiny cheap devices to people who are on the street, um, just doing street outreach. Me and my team are our nonprofit partners. So that's step one. Find people in need. Jonathan and his team go all throughout Seattle looking for people that are vulnerable and in need. People that need food, shelter, clothing. The same people that before we weren't so sure whether or not it'd be the best idea to give them cash. And then step two, they distribute the Samaritan app. They promote it as much as possible. So picture it, you're walking down the street, you've got the app on your phone. You cross within about a 20 to 30 yard radius, uh, you'll get a notification on your phone that pops up and says, hey, this is Jonathan. You know, he's been on the streets for eight months. Um, you know, his, his parents kicked him out of his home, etc. It goes into his story and then allows you to give into a fund that I can then use on critical uh, goods and services like groceries or transportation haircuts, storage lockers, and places to stay, clothing, etc. Uh, yeah, just partici any part participating business or, or nonprofit, just walking in with my beacon. If you've ever been in, in a position where you've walked by someone in need before and, and felt, you know, something in your heart that you you wanted to help, you were open to helping, uh, but things got in the way. I don't know whether you didn't have the time to stop and engage in that person's story, maybe buy them a bagel, or um, you didn't have cash on you, um, or or yeah, if if you didn't if you didn't know if giving cash was the the best way to serve that person, 
you know, you didn't, you wanted to help, you, you just wanted to make sure you weren't harming them. This actually took off a lot quicker than Jonathan initially thought. The homeless community was really into the idea of potentially another avenue of help. People in the city really wanted to reach out in the community and help out. Kind of like we were talking about earlier where that snap judgment in the car with the panhandler is taken away completely because people know that it's only going to go to goods and services that are going to help the individual, such as you know, food and shelter and haircuts and not towards buying drugs or alcohol. And also, it gives them the ability to give securely right through their phone. So it takes away that vulnerability as well. All of a sudden, that snap judgment is just gone altogether. The beacon holders in particular have been more positive and more receptive and, and more open or welcome, welcoming to this thing than I maybe initially thought. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I just figured there would be a little bit more skepticism, but I think that the, the, the people who are on the street, they're looking to be heard and looking to be seen. And when they see that this is a small and honest way for people to help, they're really interested uh, a m majority of the time. That's, that's obviously number one. Um, and then, you know, in terms of signing up people on the app, that's been, that's been really encouraging as well. I think in the end, the most impressive thing about Samaritan is not the convenience and the security of being able to give to someone in need, although that's really great. I think that it's the fact that it takes away the prejudice and the preconceived notions of, well, who is my neighbor? Is this person okay to give to? Is this person not okay to give to? You know, it, it deals away with all of that. And instead, it focuses on that person's story. But that person is not just a homeless guy uh, or a homeless woman. That person is just that, a person. There's someone created in the image of God, and they have a heart and soul and a body, and they have purpose, and they have a story. The story of the Good Samaritan is something that really, really stuck out to me. And, and, and Jesus said, you know, forget the Ten Commandments. Here are two things. You know, love your God and love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, you will, you know, you will bear much fruit. You'll be blessed. You will be my disciple. And, and, and so, you know, the disciples ask, well, who's, who's our neighbor? And then he tells, I think he, that's the one he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, but it's, it's really everyone. It's not just the people living next to us. It's not just our family. It's, it's really anyone who, who, needs or asks for our help. I think that's really the heart of the story of the Good Samaritan. Like Jonathan said, it's not your family or your friends, but it's anyone who needs and asks for your help. I was thinking about that. And then I was also thinking about the haunting part of the parable of the two other people that walked right by 
this man who was hurting and left for dead. Thought about the the priest and the Levite. These were, you know, the the spiritual who's who's and the people that, um, if you were listening to this story, would absolutely be expected to stop and go out of their way and help these people. But when Jesus tells the story, he says that the, the priest and the Levite, they actually crossed all the way over to the other side of the road. In other words, they went out of their way to get out of the way. And the heart behind the question, who is my neighbor, really reveals that sort of sin, that sort of evil and wickedness of going out of your way to be out of the way. Because if we can establish who your neighbor is, we're really trying to establish who our neighbor is not. Who are the people that I am exempt from helping? Who are the people that are unworthy or undeserving or uh, not needing my help? And that's the real sin here. And so those are the things that haunt me. Am I the the Good Samaritan? The, the unlikely character at the end of the, sh- of the show that comes in and saves the day, where am I one of the first two guys? Where I've got this religious identity about me, right? I've got this Christian identity. I'm the, I'm the priest, or I'm the pastor, or I'm the Levite, or I'm the Christian, or I'm the small group leader, or I'm the youth leader, or I'm the worship leader, and I have all of these errors, but I go out of my way to be out of the way of helping and loving people that are made in the image of God. You know, to be honest, one of the reasons that my wife and I, we packed up our our things and we we moved all the way over to the side to the poorest city in the entire nation, into Flint, Michigan, was we didn't want to go out of our way to be out of the way. We wanted to put ourselves in the path of people that were hurting and needed help. To be honest, I don't really know what that looks like still, but... We wanted to be good Samaritans. We wanted to try to help. Another thing that I was thinking about after talking with Jonathan was how in other places where Jesus has listed as sharing the two greatest commandments other than Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And he says, the second commandment is like it. And I used to wonder, I don't get it. Why is the second commandment to love your neighbor as yourself like the first command? How is loving your neighbor like loving God? And it goes back to what I was saying earlier, how people, whether it's our friends, our family, or whether it's the homeless, the people on the street hurting, they are made in the image of God. And so by loving the people around us, we are loving God. It also goes back into into the Gospels where Jesus talks about loving the least of these, saying, I tell you the truth, anything you did for the least of these, you did for me. And so I kind of challenged myself and wondered, do I think about other people that way? And do I realize that the way that I treat other people around me is a direct indicator of what I believe about the God inside of them, the God all around us? Because Jesus himself, the Son of God, said, the second commandment is like the first. And it's like the first because when we love other people, we're actually loving God.
Meeting Real Life is produced by yours truly, me, Daniel Crawford. I wanted to give a special thanks to Jonathan Kumar. His app is called Samaritan, and you can find out a whole lot more about it by going to samaritan.city. Special thanks today to the freemusicarchive.org. They've got a wealth of great music that kind of provided a backdrop to our podcast today. You can um, check it out at freemusicarchive.org and a specific special thanks to Blue Dot Sessions for the music today. Uh, Just a little bit of housekeeping. Meetingreallife.com is our website. Again, that's meetingreallife.com. We'll be adding more all the time, so feel free to check that out. Uh, You know, we're kind of getting this off the ground, but please check that out and and share with your friends. Uh, Speaking of sharing, uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, We'll be on the they're adding content and kind of updating, communicating with you guys. Um, and while you're on there, take a minute to share this podcast on your page and uh, share it with someone that you think might enjoy it. And the last couple things, uh, you can review this podcast on iTunes. Um, please let me know how you're liking it. That really helps other people see it, um, know about it, and kind of listen to it as well. Right now, the, uh, the email address you can reach me at is meetingreallife at gmail.com. Again, that's meetingreallife at gmail.com. And finally, this show is dedicated to my late sister-in-law, Chelsea Crawford. She died sadly and tragically in January of 2017. And the phrase meeting real life actually was her idea. Uh, she wanted to use that to make book or a web series and part of this is in her honor and walking through losing her um she was my brother's wife and that was one of the hardest things we all had to walk through and how our faith wrangles with that so we miss you chelsea and we grieve with hope that we'll be reunited one day well thanks so much for listening to meeting real life and we will see you next time